Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Endurance Asia podcast. I'm your host Scott Pugh and this week I catch up with Rick Stockfish and we uh, we talk about the recent um, Everesting for Free to Run challenge that I took on in Singapore and we also catch up with Taylor Smith who's the executive director of, of the charity Free to Run and has been uh, a human rights advocate and she's got um, a huge amount of experience working out in, in Afghanistan and, uh, and other conflict zones such as Iraq and helping women and children and building communities um, with the charity Free to Run. So we, she talks about some of the initiatives they're working on or have worked on over the last three to four years and what they've got coming up in in 2020 and uh, and really where all the fundraising that um that we made over the over the last month where where that will be going to so um thanks very much for everyone that um that uh, got involved and, and contributed or supported on the day for the for the challenge um so yeah with that here's uh, here's Rick Stockfish that a truthful story if they ever ask Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey, Mr. Rick Stockfish. Merry, Merry Christmas, sir. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Scott. How are you doing? Very good. Very good. We're um, we're recording this just before Christmas, um, but we'll be um, publishing on Boxing Day. But um, yeah, I've uh, just got back from a week in, week in Melbourne. It's and you're a... Stinking hot Melbourne, 45 degrees. You're a week out from your Everesting of Booker Teamer. Absolutely amazing effort. Oh yeah, no, it was um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty chuffed to get that one done. That was um, one of the one of the toughest sort of charity challenges that that I've done on my uh, on my own. And um, yeah, compared to doing it on a bike, it's a completely different kettle of fish. There's no uh, at least on a bike you get to rest on the downhills, but. Um, well, as I think I was saying is, as we were running up and down a couple of the laps, I don't know how many people have done an Everesting on both on a bike and on foot. It doesn't sound like many people have done them on foot, full stop. But no, there's been around um, there's been around four thousand in total, four and a half thousand in total, and there's been around eighty that have been registered on on a run. And um, the guy that uh, that organises it or came up with the concept is a guy called Andy Van. Oh God, I'll get his name in a second. But he's based down in Melbourne, actually. And uh, and yeah, when I when I submitted it on Strava, and he like he, they they go and check and confirm it and um, and and add it onto the Everesting.cc website. And I, and so I, he like messaged on the on the um, on the Strava. Um, actual route thing that was that, that I'd uh, that I placed it on and uh, and yeah I, I asked him on that whether it had been anyone's done it before both cycling and running and he said there's only one that he knows of so I think I'll like will be yeah I'm only the second person ever to, to do company. the two yeah um, only two people mad enough to try um, but yeah how, how did it all feel at the time you were looking reasonably strong when I saw you with whatever it was 20 15 laps to go or something yeah so I started midday and I 
I started, I was on my own for the first couple of hours and then we had some, um, uh, and so that I, I trained really hard for it in terms of getting the right process in place. So, um, the route I'd chosen was a kilometer up, kilometer down and around 145 meters elevation. And so the plan was to do five laps up and down, which takes around 20 minutes and then have a 10 minute break. So it's like hour and 40 of running, 10 minute break, and then, and then back on it. And uh, yeah, the the weather was really cool for Singapore standards. I mean, it's still twenty eight degrees and ninety percent humidity is 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 tough. In uh, it's still difficult, but um, but compared to some of the training runs I'd done, was a was a lot easier. Um, and yeah, we had to uh, um, first we had I had Grant Rawlinson, Grant Axe Rawlinson came out, uh, someone that had like legitimately climbed Everest before. It's like it's, my challenge was probably a little bit easier than, uh, or certainly cheaper than uh, than getting to the top of Everest. Um, we also um, we also had Alan Grant, who's uh, who's cycled three Everests as well. He he came down. Um, and so during the day, I, like, I, I consistently had people with me, which is which was good because um, it just allows you to sort of someone to pace you or at least just sit with you, take your mind off it. Um, and also when you get down for your 10 minute break, someone to like help get shit for you. And because uh, that's the thing, like 10 minutes sounds like a long time. But when you've got to like feed yourself, change your socks or whatever, like rest, stretch, um, it's a it's pretty um, it's pretty tight time frame. It's it's a bit like actually the the sort of big dogs I can imagine like doing a, the big dogs backyard doing a um, I think it's like a six and a half k loop, isn't it? Within an hour, and then if you've got a ten minute break, you've got to do a lot within that ten minutes because you're not going to be eating that much while you're running. But. Any uh, any issues on the way? You had running with the park authorities early on, I think. No, actually there were. Um, yeah, they they came past and just said because uh, we were all my stuff was like scattered across this road at the bottom of the trail and um, and yeah they sort of said oh look move aside a little bit it's interesting the the trails only open from seven a.m. to seven p.m. so um, I caught up with Jerry Chua before she don't kindly donated some uh, tailwind for that was my main fuel source for the race or for the challenge and uh, and yeah she said that. Because she's the only she has done an Everesting before in Singapore in a, in a HDB, although she's not put it onto the Everesting site. I've like just sent her the link to get hers uh, posted up there. But um, but yeah, she said that they'd look to do it around Bukatima, and just because it's closed, uh, supposed to be closed at night, they they um and they decided against it. But um, yeah, there was no there's no one there checking it during the night. And you said you had a bit of a low patch, and then in the short window where you were on your own at whatever it was four four in the morning. I had a couple of low patches. So I had one late evening, so like around six thirty. I'd had a um, uh, a few people come down. An ex, a couple of ex um, colleagues, Chloe and, and and Natalie from LinkedIn came down. I saw them at the top, and also um, also my personal personal trainer Lizzie came down. All they were around at the same time, at a time when I had like an extended twenty minute break. Um, and it was brilliant actually. They were the most amazing support crew. Like they. Sort. They did my hot noodles. They like just basically just got everything done. And at that point, I was pretty struggling. So that that would have been twenty laps in. So just under a third of the way, and um, I was getting really bad cramps. And I was like, "Oh fuck, this is not looking good." A third of the way through, and I'm uh, and I'm getting really bad cramps. But 
net some cramp fix and um and actually yeah it did the job and then just started to get dark there and um and then yeah got got going again um but had some uh i had a, a guy called uh, barnaby who's um i met running the force of nature um trail marathon and he came he came down kind of around nine o'clock or so um and uh and he was with me all the way through till like 2:30, um, which was amazing. Like uh, just such a sound, uh, sound dude. A uh, really, really strong runner as well. Um, and then another guy, Matt Gurney, who also who came out at midnight um, and and ran through to 4 a.m. So that was just unbelievable to have um, have their their support. Um, but yeah, then the then the next tough point was from like 4 a.m. to 6:30, that bit before dawn, um, and that was I like it was about two thirds of the way there. Um, and then like the wheels start to come off a little bit, you start getting, uh, getting a bit knackered, but, um, but yeah, pushed, pushed on through. And then, um, yeah, you came down in, in the morning, I had a mate Tebow that, that turned up at 6.30 and, uh, um, and ran a few laps with me. You came down with your daughter and, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, by that point it, you, you pretty clearly had it in the bag, but, uh, still amazing. Yeah, it was slowing down a bit. I mean, my goal was to get in it under 24 hours, which I just managed. A uh, issue I had though is my, um, my watch died and I was like halfway up a lap and I was like, oh, fuck, watch it. And, you know, normally if you're running, it'll be like, oh, so what? But I had to, you have to have it as one continuous Strava, sec- Strava route. So I had to go down, charge my phone for a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, the actual there was like a 50, I think it was fifteen minutes. I had to like charge it there, but take that away. I got in just under the twenty four hours. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I had to, towards the end my my five laps and ten minute breaks kind of turned to three laps and ten minute breaks. Uh, Anything you'd do differently if you're doing it again? Um, oh, not not, not do, do it, it again. Not do it, <laughs> not yeah. do it no. Um, yeah, I had a couple of people reach out, like saying they're thinking of doing. Um, someone's up for doing it in Hong Kong. Um, I've got some great advice, and anyone that wants to do it, um, and it's a pretty similar process to train for it, whether you do it on a bike or on foot. In terms of just do the reps, yeah. you've just got to get out there and just train on the route until until you could run the route with your eyes closed, you know, and um, and train up to over half of the distance that you needed to do. So I, I trained up to 35 and I needed to do 63 um, laps. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I pretty much had it down pat. I don't know. I, um, I had like an esky with, um, with all food, nice cold drinks all the way through. Um, yeah, there's not too much I'd, I'd change, to be honest. There's not, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd figured out all the... Um, all the niggles and stuff in the training. So it worked out that I needed to like properly lube up to avoid chafing the whole, uh, like before and, and constantly during um, to, um, yeah, I brought a nice roll mat out with me so I could actually have a lay down and also brought um, a roller so I could roll out my calves and, um, and, um, uh, and legs during it. Cause they were, when they was cramping up a bit. Um, but yeah, in terms of other, yeah other recommendations it's just really getting a routine down and just being consistent so chunking it down to um a certain amount of laps and then have a break certain amount of laps have a break and uh and then you just know psychologically okay just i just need to do okay five laps four laps three laps 
just one more and then I get a 10 minute break and so it can um, can get through it and uh, and also listening to David Goggins as well bit of you can't hurt me always like gets you through the tough uh, the tough times well it's absolutely uh, yeah seriously impressive effort mate and uh, and all the better that you were doing it for a really good cause yeah yeah I mean um, it's such a cool charity and um, and so yeah we're really um, pleased to, to catch up with uh, with Taylor who's one of the sort of main directors of the charity um, along with Stephanie Case um, and so yeah we'll share share their um, their chat at the end but we may, raised um, over four thousand US dollars so like massive thanks to everyone that um, uh, that's donated and I'm personally going to match up to another three and a half thousand US dollars so um, yeah we've raised over seven and a half thousand US which I mean chatting to her is just going to make such a massive impact to all of the uh, initiatives they're working on for this coming year um, so that's yeah yeah huge thanks to everyone that um, everyone that donated um, but yeah so it's been um yes yeah, it's, it's been about like nine months since we've been running the podcast now isn't it yeah so, what are we 19 19 episodes in yeah. lots of uh, lots of really interesting people on the way yeah what's been your uh what's been your favorite up until now i don't, I don't know really i mean there's it's hard to look past tomo isn't it um just as a just as a character and just kind of off the charts and uh in terms of what he's doing but um i think i have a soft spot the first one we actually recorded was was up in the mountains in thailand with uh with seb and yeah. just, I mean, for location alone in a sort of pitch black mountainside village with surrounded by barking dogs. Yeah, stray dogs it's, walking uh, around. It's hard to beat. But um, yeah, that one really enjoyed the the coached interview, just looking yeah. at things from a technical side. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, I mean, Tomo as well. I mean, he's the only person we've had on, on twice, but he's uh, just such a, a, a great dude and is just he's got a great story that 100 miles 100 times just captures the imagination um and uh and yeah grant rawlinson as well he's um yeah, his story of home to home once again a really his like challenge captures the imagination his big bold, big, unique, bold goal. unique goal yeah. yeah his bug um but uh, yeah, we've got some we've got some great ones lined up for the new year as well. I'm uh, I'm excited to um, to get Chris Vanderveld on the guy that runs Asia Trail Master. So we're going to be catching up with him in the new year. Um, and yeah, you caught up with um, with William Chiang last last week, right? Yeah, he's a photographer who does quite a lot of work with Asia Trail Master. Um, and uh, yeah, a really interesting guy to talk to. And what's really nice is, I mean, I think when we started this earlier in the year, we knew a few of the people involved in these different scenes around the region but we weren't that well connected and, and, and now people are just coming forward recommending friends of friends and other people have inspired them and uh you know it feels like if we had the time this could easily be a weekly or more often podcast but yeah, yeah. Somehow, somehow keep it manageable we've we've both got pretty busy day jobs and families as well but um but yeah like i've, I've loved doing it we've met some amazing people um and uh yeah we've got also got um ps sim who um who uh, climbed a Singaporean lady who climbed Everest last year. Um, she's going to be coming on in, in the new year. I'm really keen to get some more like adventurers and and, and sort of mountaineers on as well. Um, and uh, and Jesse Montague, who also actually came out and supported the Everesting um, for free to run challenge. She ran a few laps to me with me. She's um, uh, like one of the top OCR um, OCR athletes and Spartan athletes around the region. 
she was telling me part of her story which is just amazing like she's um you know both her and her other half who's her coach um both of them are like severely overweight and just uh, like a year ago and they've just uh, like had a crazy transformational story just wow. in the past year so uh yeah looking forward to sharing that um also quite keen to get some of them some of the um some of the guests back on as well i mean we mentioned grant um grant axe rawlinson he's building a boat at the moment um to i say a boat it's like a pedalo to um to get to get across the ditch from um uh from australia to new zealand to finish off his home to home challenge um i just saw abby when i was out running earlier as well actually he's uh he is about to run the four trails at the end of January over Chinese New Year. Third attempt, is it? Third attempt, yeah. So it's about, um, and he's, I think he did it in like 77 or 75 hours first year, 63 or 64 the next year. And so I'm pretty sure he's going to get that one done. He's um, he's had a pretty full-on training block. He's been out in Nepal and then... Yeah. And then ran the... That 230 in, in Chiang Mai. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. in Chiang Rai, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm hoping to get him back on once he's uh, once he's a finisher of the uh, of the four trails, and uh, and our man Tomo, he's um, he's yeah he's he's preparing for for Barclay next year. He got his commiseration letter, and um, I think he's on the waiting list for Western States as well. It's like his eighth year of trying, and he, he's um, he's like number five on the wait list. So apparently, that's pretty much like he's done deal. He, he's the done deal. Yeah, he also he was chatting to me before. He wants to do um, you know the big long trails in in the US. Yeah. Got the Appal- Appalachian Trail, Appalachian Trail, yeah. and then the Pacific, Pacific Crest. Crest. Yeah. Um, so I think it's four of them. He also wants to do all of those next year. I don't think he's going to do it. Ne- can't do it next year if he's going to do like the Western States, the Grand Slam. But um, yeah, dude's got some crazy um, crazy plans. Um, so yeah, any um, any uh, running stuff on your Christmas list? You uh, yeah, yeah. all, all four of the Grand Trails in the US uh, before, <laughs> before the New Year. No, uh, no, bit of a fresh start. And um, we just mentioned Chris and Asia Trailmaster. We'll get him on early in the New Year. But I'm actually planning to to tackle kind of a handful, maybe half a dozen of those races over next year. More more as an excuse to travel and see some of these some of these destinations, try some of the distant different disciplines. Um, perhaps write up write up a story about it when we're done so it'd be good to get you out for some of those um and we want to get up to vietnam don't we and see uh david lloyd who does well he does a vietnam mountain marathon and that trail series but he also does um a lot of bike tours over in vietnam they look pretty amazing what we've seen online so so uh, it's up in the like north, uh, like north of Hanoi or no- northwest of Hanoi. Yeah, right? I mean the one the one we saw, I think, was a new a new tour they're doing and sort of a previously closed off area in Vietnam, just up in the mountains, just amazing switchback roads through the mountains, just absolutely no one around. Um, so yeah, let's let's see if we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah, I caught up with um with uh, my adventure racing team down in Melbourne and we were devising plans to get to XBD again next year which is going to be um in far north Queensland uh in around uh, around July time we're just uh, getting all of the passes both from work and uh, and and family but we're going to make a bit of a family trip for it um but yeah have you um what about what about gear have you got any gear c- uh, that are coming on your christmas list other than races on your christmas list yeah well if anyone could recommend anything to fix persistent plantar fasciitis that would be uh gratefully still, received but no it's still more, giving you shit it's i mean yeah but i mean largely because i've been sat around stationary since since it happened with the new baby but um yeah it's 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 clearing up we're, we're good um 
Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to testing out some new some new runners in the new year. Yeah, need to get like a needleman down here. Yeah, we need we need more recommendations for for practitioners in Singapore, don't we? Yeah, the um or just take a trip up to Hong, Hong Kong, Kong, mate, yeah, and go yeah. and see the the famous needleman in Hong Kong. He'll uh, he'll get you sorted. Um, yeah, good stuff. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, thank you all for for being involved in the over the past uh, past year and. Um, yeah, here we'll um, we're gonna like pass over to I've uh, recorded with with Taylor from um, from the Free to Run charity. The uh, the audio on my side's a bit shit. Um, I was recorded over um, over Zoom, um, but I mean you can hear her loud and clear, which is the most important thing. Um, we will also look to get um, Stephanie Case on in the new year as well, who's uh, who works the charity, but. Honestly, just uh, just such an inspiring charity, and um, and yeah, like I really, um, it's, we're going to continue to to support it on Endurance Asia, and um, and yeah, really recommend you guys follow um, uh, Free to Run Go on on Instagram and um, and the other socials. Um, yeah, so, yeah, keep the keep the recommendations for other guests coming. Yeah, anything anything you'd like to hear, we'll see if we can get them on. Good stuff. Well, with that. Here is Taylor from Taylor Smith from Free to Run. Like the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey Taylor, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Thank you for having me here. It's you know it's great to to be here. Yeah, we're um we're really happy that you could um that you could join us and uh, and share a bit of the uh, the story around around Free to Run um your um yeah obviously the the charity is kind of the it's focused around afghanistan and um and iraq but um but it's sort of headquartered in in the states in new york yeah so we're an international organization that's um originally you know founded and registered in new york city but we've got registrations in both afghanistan and iraq as an international organization as well yeah, that's great. So I'm I'm so pleased you could um you could come and uh and I suppose share the story of um a free to run. So so with that, yeah, like how did um how did the charity come about? What was the um what was the nucleus of it? Where did it where did it come from? Uh, so it's funny actually. You know, we began in Afghanistan in uh, September 2014. Our our founder Stephanie Case is uh, an ultra runner and a human rights lawyer who was working for you know the UN at the time raising money for organizations um, that work with women. And the idea kind of came from her, you know. Um, so in September 2014, they started with some simple, you know, hiking activities for a group of young women in the Central Highlands region. Um, and since then, it's just of Afghanistan, of, the Central yes. Highlands. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So Afghanistan was our, our first country um, of operation. I mean, we've had past projects as well in South Sudan and the DRC, um, but at the moment, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq are kind of our, our core countries. Um, Afghanistan is the biggest. It's grown to a point now where we currently reach over 700 uh, women and girls annually, aged, you know, 15 to 25 um, across five provinces. So, you know, starting in one um, in one particular region and just kind of growing from there. And it's only been, you know, five, five years. So, um, as I said, it's kind of still our biggest, you know, program to this day, but we we started a program in Iraq in 2018 with a pilot, um, which consisted of just 20, you know, diverse girls, um, also aged 15 to 25 from, you know, different backgrounds, Syrian, IDP, internally displaced people and, um, you know, refugees. And it kind of excludes, it's been growing there as well. I mean, it's still significantly smaller. We're operating 
we were operating at that time in one area and we've expanded to two. Um, but from the 20 girls, you know, over the course of eight to 10 months, we've grown to 100 girls that we're getting to, to reach and to work with this year. So, yeah, I mean, it developed, you know, kind of almost organically, I would say, just through working with a local organization in the beginning and kind of, you know, branching out from then when we decided that we need to kind of register on our own and build our own safe houses and kind of operational staff to kind of, you know, support and back up, um, you know, these programs because they were growing. And, you know, our mission is kind of, I would say, grown with it too, just based on the needs that the girls in our, our program have kind of identified themselves. So, you know, the mission uh, now is kind of to use outdoor sport and adventure to empower women and girls in areas of conflict uh, to build their physical, emotional, and social well-being and develop them into community leaders so that they can, you know, be a positive force for change within their own communities. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think, so I've been a, a long-term supporter of the, the UN Refugee Agency, the UNHCR, mm -hmm. Um, and obviously, Stephanie, the, the co-founder, is a, a UN human rights lawyer. Uh, and a lot of the work they do uh, is the kind of like the, the, the uh, like as the hierarchy leads, the sort of the, the bottom rung of it, like shelter, food, water. And, and uh, I think it often gets forgotten about that actually like move, like maybe not to self-actualization, but just helping empower people is just so critical to be able to to help these people move up the sort of the the ladder and be able to 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 build better lives really and so yeah i'm interested in in with that like how how the obviously stephanie is a a, a phenomenal ultra runner and passionate ultra runner but what how did you come to the realization that that sort of outdoor activities and, and hiking was going to be a, a really critical thing to be able to help these communities yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think that it, the idea of would obviously come from personal experiences. I think both Steph and I share like a very strong connection with running and what it's done um, for, you know, us in our own lives and what we've taken from it. Um, and yeah, when we started the programs, I definitely remember, uh, you know, I got there in 2016, actually, and they were, there were some who were really getting it and taking it in and, you know, going for runs and saying, this is helping me uh, focus more. This is helping me, you know, build goals within my own life and to be more self-confident and all these other things and lessons that we wanted them to, to gain or to take from it. Um, but there was also, you know, a drop-off point because it was, it's hard. It's different. There's not a culture of running there, um, even for men, right? I mean, it's, it's an unusual thing for women especially to do. And so we realized that to kind of get those lessons um, to you know, kind of live through the sports that we were teaching that we had to kind of incorporate a life skills uh, section to it. So we actually incorporated the life skills through sports curriculum that we worked on with a UNICEF education specialist, which kind of covers you know, lessons of communication, conflict resolution and leadership actually taught through the sports activities themselves. So. Um, through that, I think was really key, you know, getting to the girls when they were younger in high school and, you know, teaching that alongside actual running activities and saying, you know, like, this is how you can communicate or th these are like nonverbal techniques that you can use or you learn through sports. These are, you know, conflict resolution and like time goals and all these other things that you can learn, right? Like through running and developing your own individual, you know, ability to run further or run faster. Um, so doing that, I think, alongside the actual running activities has helped a lot. And we've seen them, yeah, like really kind of take it in now and, you know, go out and try and start their own 
teams within their own communities or high schools at times and just kind of really embody those and empower those, you know, lessons themselves. Um, I think another key lesson that we learned is to have, you know, some of the girls who graduate from the program lead some of these activities on their own to kind of use the lessons that we're teaching them, right? Like specifically on leadership, like how do you go out and recruit, um, you know, a group of women or girls to participate in sports activities? How do you lead them through? How do you help them deal with their own, you know, issues in life, whether it's just time get like scheduling for coming to practice or all these other things. And then how does this live, you know, through sports? Like what can you give back to the community? Um, and that I think has been really empowering for a lot of them because they're not just participants or beneficiaries anymore, right? Like they're the ones who are leading the actual activities and have, you know, decision power and the room to kind of test out and learn their own leadership skills through these activities. Yeah, and then it, it, it I suppose the, uh, it creates the just a, um, a wider group of people to then be able to to push the initiatives to to scale it across uh, um, across different regions, as you say. Um, and what um, so I, I'm sure there's been some some real challenges, certainly from a cultural perspective, to be able to launch the charity and be able to get community leaders to to buy into the mission of, of the charity. How have you um, how have you and Stephanie gone about? Kind about doing that getting the buy-in from from community leaders yeah no i mean there was there's things that we do today scott that i i did not think would ever be possible when i first moved you know to afghanistan um for instance taking taking some of our participants out to mountains that you know we haven't even really been to before in different provinces for a week-long expedition where you know they have no contact with their family um which is a really big thing you know in these in these regions where you typically women and girls have to travel with like a, an older, they call it a mahram, like an older um, woman or male who, you know, is guiding them rather than just on their own. So it wasn't always that way. Like you said, I mean, there were definitely a lot of challenges when we first started. Um, I'd say that we kind of looked at it from a, starting from a smaller standpoint, trying to not even use the word sports when we were approaching, you know, communities about trying to get girls involved in our programs, we would call it like, can we take your, you know, your daughter out for a walk? <laughs> um, and just mention like the health benefit of her being outside, right, getting a little bit of exercise, and then slowly kind of taking, you know, building it up from there saying, okay, like, now that you know that we're trustworthy, that we pick, you know, girls up and drop them off directly to and from home. Um, and they've been safe with us for a certain amount of months. Can we, can we try and take them, you know, out on like this hike into a different valley or on a run? Um, and that's quite honestly pretty much how we started. I mean, our, our running spaces when I first got to Afghanistan were maybe 100 meters in a small, you know, compound even because they weren't, people weren't comfortable with the idea of us taking, you know, girls outside <laughs> to go running. Um, and I think just, yeah, I mean, leveraging the contacts that we made and the relationships that we were able to build over the years with different community uh, members and those, and just individuals who are respected. So we've got a partnership in Afghanistan at the moment with the Ministry of Education, which has really helped us. Um, we actually are able to implement programs in high schools now. And then through that trust and that, you know, three month, I guess, of community, you know, trust building that we kind of get to use um, through that partnership, we then approach them to take them outside through um, to a different program and to you know take them around like within their own city within other communities and then for some of them you know to other provinces so i think that it would just have to be 
yeah, it's been a really slow, <laughs> slow <laughs> process, but <laughs> one that's kind of really worked out for us. Um, yeah. yeah, I suppose it's that, it's that building trust, isn't it? And then, and, and yeah, trust is consistency over time and being able to, yes. to yeah, for, as you say, being able to like pick the girls up and drop them off at the right time. And then, uh, and um, uh, yeah, and, and that sort of like helps reinforce. Um, and are, th are there any specific stories of, of people that you have worked with that, that I suppose you personally, Taylor, I feel really inspired by? Is there any that, that, that spring to mind? Oh, dozens. I mean, <laughs> I'll, when I first um, joined Free to Run, you know, it was a six-month volunteer position, and I didn't necessarily see myself staying on. Um, but, like, just working with these, you know, women and girls, they're so inspiring, and they've kind of just you it's hard to leave right i mean it's now been four almost four years for me <laughs> i clearly got sucked in um and it's really it's really the the participants the women and girls themselves who do it i mean i can think of dozens we've got a lot of um a lot of our program officers actually are girls who have been through our program who kind of came to us you know when they're younger um entered as a participant to learn how to run their first marathon and are now working you know for the organization you know overseeing in their provinces, I mean, they see about probably 300 girls a year, right? Not all of them training for marathons, but they're overseeing the training of 300 girls over the year, right? Um, which I find really inspiring. I mean, on an individual basis, we've had some really interesting um, stories come from participants from more conservative provinces, which we haven't been working in since the beginning. Um, but you know, we again had to develop the trust and whatnot. One of one of the stories I can think of specifically is definitely um, we had this this uh, this young woman from Western Afghanistan, and she had been in our program for about six months. Um, was selected to go to our uh, winter interregional uh, sports and leadership um, week, which is basically a week where we teach them how to ice skate and ski, um, as well as do some like you know leadership and team building activities out in the Central Highlands. So. Her family wasn't super comfortable with it at first. Her program officer went. We did a lot of, you know, outreach with the family to convince them that she would be okay to come for a week. Um, she came and, I mean, by the end of it, she was like, this is the most the happiest week of my life, um, which I thought was like, you know, it's really extreme. Like, we do put a lot of work and effort into those weeks, but for somebody to tell you that, you know, it really fundamentally changed them was huge. And I guess um, we followed up with them like a couple months later, like, hey, what are what are some of the points that you took from this week that, you know, you're still using today? And she kind of told us that um, when she went back to her home province, she told her family that, because she had been engaged actually, um, that she didn't think that the boy that they had engaged her to was good for her and that she didn't want to marry her, him and stood up in front of her family and they kind of actually listened and agreed with her. And she's like, I, I never would have done that. Like if not for, you know, this program and like the experiences I had out in the Central Highlands. So yeah, we've got a couple stories like that. Like, I think our participants realizing that they had a lot more rights and a lot more power and freedom, right. Than they initially thought that they would. Um, we've also had, you know, apart from their own like individual positive changes within themselves, there's been a lot of, I think benefit apart from like the economic perspective of the, we employ some of the women and the girls who go through this program. We've also had two of our participants actually um, apply for and were awarded Fulbright scholars and, you know, they mentioned, yeah, in their... Awarded what, sorry? Uh, Fulbright Scholar or Fulbright Scholarships. So 
it's essentially to, to other uh, schools or to, yeah sorry i don't know if it's an american no no yeah it is i guess yeah that would make sense it's it's an american um it's, i guess it's essentially like the Rhodes scholarship um it's a paid for masters um in the u.s so two of them will be going yeah this year to to the u.s to two different universities um to pursue you know as their masters as a fulbright scholar um and they mentioned that you know they focused pretty heavily on free to run in their interviews and that it was kind of a a point where you know everyone was like writing down their answers and their heads kind of like perked up like oh i'm sorry you you've run marathons where <laughs> so yeah i think it's it's got a lot more apart from the positive changes that you see within themselves there are you know outward kind of stories and proof that this does mean or does you know change some of our participants lives at least that's so amazing and I can imagine like these, I can see you getting emotional and talking about these stories as well. I'm getting a lump in my throat as well. But, um, but sharing these, um, these stories to other women and girls in Afghanistan to really be able to use these as, as like aspirational stories for them to be able to then potentially get scholarships themselves or to, like, how do you go about communicating it in, it, like internally in Afghanistan and Iraq um, what's the yeah how do you, how do you get because I can I can imagine like you know not everyone has smartphones like social media is not really a, like widely used like mm -hmm. what, how, how do you how do you get these stories out yeah it's a really good question actually um, we've developed this whole we do community outreach events on a quarterly basis um, in both Afghanistan and Iraq and we typically center them around what was the biggest thing that we did in our programs, you know, this last quarter. Um, and we give the participants who participated in that big event, whatever it may be, kind of a platform to speak. We invite, you know, community members, obviously, um, partners who helped us to kind of achieve that, um, whatever the, the event itself was, but also, you know, the families and the parents of the girls who are in the program, as well as other participants themselves. I mean, because we are at a point now where, it's interesting, like, I, I mean, I used to know every girl's name individually and all of her details, right? I mean, we had like 20 participants when we started. Now we have over 700 in Afghanistan and 100 in Iraq. I mean, and it's, it's definitely grown to a point where obviously I don't know everyone individually and personally anymore. And to give them the platform to kind of talk on, you know, how, what they went through when they tried to do the, you know, the race or the event. For example, we have a, we have a disability program in Afghanistan and, um, we actually had our Paralympic team members speak at, at these community outreach events on what it meant for them to be able to do these sport, um, the race, the Paralympic tournament that we put on. And it was, yeah, it's really inspiring. I mean, also for me personally to hear, but I think also really important for community members um, to and their family members to hear what it meant to them. And other participants to be like, oh, you know, if I work hard, I attend a lot and I show commitment, then I can be selected to go to this event or program. And um, what has been the, have, have, there, have you actually been able to identify any, any like really strong running talent that could potentially sort of uh, step up to some of the like regional running scenes or has there been any, any people that have really, really stood out? Yeah, I mean, there are, it's funny, like when, again, like when we first started, I was like, oh, this is going to be hard and long because you're, you're starting from a different baseline, right? I mean, we grew up in the West and in, in all these different countries playing sports on a daily basis, you know, you have recess, right? You have time. Um, 
you do hand-eye coordination skills from like a really young age that kind of get you to a level where, you know, you can pick up running really quickly, right? Um, and so it, it takes, a, it's a longer take up time, I would say, like I've noticed it takes them longer to get to a basic level of fitness. Um, that being said, like, particularly our younger participants, the girls who are like 15 and 16, some of them are really quite quick. Um, a lot of them like will finish. We had uh, two girls on the podium for the marathon of Afghanistan this year um, who beat internationals and last year as well, actually. Um, who were at this race. Yeah, and I mean, they're 15 and 16 running, you know, 42 kilometer distances, uh, and they're just, they're fast. So yeah, there's definitely some. We don't look for athletic ability as like a prerequisite to join the program, of course, but there, there definitely is quite a few girls who display like some real talent. Um, a couple of the others actually have also joined, you know, the Afghan national uh, running team through the Olympic Committee too, through after you know, being in our program for a year or two. So that's been, you know, cool to see that they, apart from our program, giving them the recognition, right, or the the place to kind of use the skills that they learn, they're actually also getting an opportunity now, like for Afghanistan. Yeah, it would be, it would be amazing to be able to get um, one or a couple of the runners from, uh, from free to run. To, and I'm sure there'll be challenges around um around visas and traveling but to to come to some of the international races around um, uh, around asia would be i'd love to be able to help facilitate and support maybe getting a couple out i mean i, I just think about i don't know if you've heard of mira rai in um, the nepalese runner yes. like she's just unbelievable and, um, and the the amount of inspiration she's given to so many other um, like women in 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 Nepal and around um, around the region to be able to get into to outdoor activities and outdoor sports, it would be um, yeah. it would be phenomenal to be able to have a couple of uh, Afghan mirror eyes to be able to inspire others. It would, and you know, it's funny you mentioned her. I've actually I, I typically show her documentary um, at one of our annual sports weeks. Because the girls, they, they do identify with her if you watch it, right? Like she grew up in the mountains, um, her whole story about being a child soldier and whatnot. Like they, it's the translation obviously part is difficult because you have to pause and then it has to be translated, but they, they really identify with her story. And I do think, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, Afghans have the worst passport in the world according to the World Passport Index. So visas are always a major challenge for us, but we do try to get, you know, at least one or two international race events like a year, once a year or every other year, depending on what pops up. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're always looking for opportunities or support for events like that. It means a lot for them to be able to kind of go out and have, I think, a race outside of their own country and bring that experience back both verbally, but also for their own ideas, right? Like what they want to build. Um, we had our program manager, she actually just came to New York City with me to run the New York City Marathon. And, you know, it was, it was so interesting to see it through her eyes and just kind of discussing, she's like, well, this is very different from like the races that we organized back in Afghanistan. And for me, I've, I've always known that because I grew up outside and I've done races before, you know, before I moved to Afghanistan. So I had a whole different perspective, but um, it was cool to hear her kind of bouncing around some of the ideas that she saw in the New York City Marathon and be like, oh, what if we could do something like this in Afghanistan? Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit for it. Like, obviously advocacy and exposure, but also for them to be able to take experiences like that back. Yeah, there's, um, there's a great charity in Hong Kong called uh, Run HK, I don't know, or, or yeah, which you, you may have heard of, and that supports refugees in, in Hong Kong. Um, 
and yeah i'm sure there could be some synergies there to be able to help get um uh, and could work to be able to get some some people out to come and join there's some phenomenal trail races in hong kong so yeah that's uh, yeah i've heard yeah. actually <laughs> yeah and, and what about yourself telly like i know that obviously stephanie's a, a pretty strong ultra runner are you a, are you a big runner as well I, I am. I would not put myself on Stephanie's level by, by any means. I'm not sure I don't about think many people would, though, to be fair. No. Uh, has, she got, uh, has she got a spot in Barclay again this year, do you know? Oh, I don't know, actually. I know um, she was just trying to get in for the lottery for Western States, but I, I don't know about the Barclay, no. <laughs> yeah, do you know. Did she get in for Western States? I saw no. her talking about yeah. that. She, she missed out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, um are there any specific initiatives then that are coming up in the next uh, in the next year for free to run in in, in 2020 that um that you can talk about yeah i mean so i think we're really looking at how do we make our, our rack program as big as you know our afghanistan uh program logistics are a bit easier with security it's a little bit more stable uh, in terms of how ngos operate so i think there's a lot of opportunity and there's not you know, really any other organizations doing work like this that works with sports and women, um, you know, through this kind of community development and leadership focus. So I think, you know, that's definitely going to be where we're putting a lot of our energy and focus um, for 2020. Um, other kind of big initiatives would be, I mean, we're, we're trying to get two participants, potentially one from Afghanistan and one from Iraq, back to a Racing the Planet race. So um, I ran the last one uh, in 20. Was it 2018? I can't remember anymore. <laughs> 2018 in, um, in Gobi. Yeah. With two of our Afghan participants. So this year we're going to try and, um, you know, go to, a, we've been really lucky racing the planet's been really, really supportive um, of free to run in our programs. And so trying to look at, you know, how do we get two girls um, to another one of the races in 2020 and also kind of talking on a, a longer expedition in one of the provinces in Afghanistan um which is a bit new for us as uh, in the walk-on corridor so we're hoping that that'll be um it's a phenomenal place if you're ever looking for an adventure i mean i've never been anywhere as beautiful as the walk-on corridor for sure and it's actually quite accessible through tajikistan um but it's also perfect for the girls being from afghanistan right to to be able to go there um and experience some of those mountains on a longer expedition so we'll see everything's always you know, dependent on funding and whatnot, but um, feeling quite hopeful and yeah, <laughs> those are kind of some of our bigger focuses for 2020. Yeah, that's great. Well, I hope um, I hope some of our um, some of our support as uh, and some of our like uh, donations from from people that have um, will go some way to help help those initiatives. Um, and yeah, really, I think it's just such a, a phenomenal charity. I think you you guys do have done a phenomenal job. So like we yeah we really appreciate everything everything you've done. Keep on um, fighting the good fight and um, and sharing uh, and sharing the stories of some of these amazing amazing people. Um, yeah, thank you so much for for joining us, Taylor. We we really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for, you know, ha taking the time and bringing us onto the show and also for the, the fundraising support. I mean, every, pretty much every dollar goes directly towards the programs. We've got a staff to participant ratio of one to 72, right? So it's, it's really, really helpful and impactful. So we do appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Excellent. Thanks, Taylor. Take care. Thanks, you too. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad.